0: of a Scottish national podcast where we talk everything and anything to do with the Scotland national team and joining me again is Miss Ilbrad AA aka Laura Bradburn, how's it going?
1: Uh, it's not too bad, good to be back, a uh, lot's changed since I think the last time we were on so I'm excited to to talk about it.
0: I just 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 one or two things to talk about. I think you know. I'm sure we'll fill the time somehow. But I've uh, on that note. Uh, since the last time we recorded, uh, we have tripped over the final hurdle, shot ourselves in the foot, and flew too too close to the sun at the same time. Uh, so a dramatic one nil win at Hamden over I was followed by a just tortured two two draw with Slovenia. I Meaning we fell just short once more. Uh with short being the operative word of uh, Gordon Schracken's post match comments where to go by. Uh so Laura, what what was what was your experience of those two games like as a fan? Um, and what, if anything, did you take away from them?
1: Um it's it's difficult to say anything other than the multitude other times that we've fallen at the final hurdle and that's that we just seem to have a way about doing it that it's just you can't help like you say feeling like you've shot yourself in the foot because we came so close. We we were so in the game against Slovenia at various points and and just never felt like it was quite out of reach and it was almost one of those situations that if the game had been half an hour longer maybe we would have qualified. But it's just one of those situations that you just think, yeah, again it's almost as if if we hadn't gone on quite as good a run towards the end of the campaign it wouldn't have felt quite as bad but we just seem to be hitting that run of form right towards the end and it's just made it all the more upsetting when it then didn't come off in the end
0: Aye, I mean that's the thing it always seems to be the way with Scotland and, and you know even though we do seem to find like a, a variety of ways to uh you know mess it up at the end it always seems to be a similar thread going on where it seems to be on the back of a good one you know where it's always the hope it's like a roller coaster thing you know it's like hope 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 and then you get to the top and then suddenly just like a vertical drop Yeah. um and that seemed to happen again and that's probably my experiences with it because um I was. Uh, I went to the game at Hamden, uh, Slovakia game, and I think the contrast. So that was a that was a Thursday, I believe. So I mean, the contrast between that Thursday and then the, the Sunday was just night and day because you know the 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 goal came late on the Thursday, and the atmosphere inside Hamden was probably. The, uh, definitely the best atmosphere that I've sampled there as a Scotland fan you know I mean like we got the goal and everybody was buzzing and then there was that tension at the end for the added time and stuff like that and then the final whistle blew uh, and then they, no, they they chucked on like free, uh, free from desire, like gala and stuff like. that Now everybody's bouncing, everybody's mm. like singing along all that sort of stuff. It was brilliant, and it does that absolutely. It was tangible, you know. it's like, man, we can do this, we can do this. You know, what I mean, it's going to be a tough game, but if we just go and it's not even about getting to the walk up. I think for a lot of people, it was just like just getting to the playoffs. You know, just getting out one step further than we've managed. You know, just to have some sort of progress. Um, and then when I got to the Sunday, like uh, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, it just, it just wasn't good enough. You know, like I, well, like, we didn't lose, but it was just, it just wasn't good enough, you know. And it was, it was so insipid. Um,
1: it was another one of those situations where you looked at the team that played against Slovakia on the Thursday night, and it just, I know there was changes, obviously, but it just didn't even look like the same spirit in the team on the Sunday and you'd have thought they'd have been even more invigorated to go for it and they just I don't know they just didn't seem like they really were able to see it across the line and I I don't know whether that was anything to do with the manager or the group of players that was there or the quality of the players or lack thereof but there just seemed to be this inevitability about it that we were going to just have this last hurrah but still ultimately come away from it with nothing
0: Aye, because there was sort of talk coming out after the uh, Slovenia game that, um, because we went into that game and we had like a sort of change of formation. You know, we essentially went four four two in a sense. You know, we we, we played two or four. We went Martin and Griffiths, and the the talk that came out was that basically, uh, that was quite a late decision. You know, and it's almost you kind of wonder why they did that, because, especially for such a crucial game, you know, just to make that snap decision, and you know the players don't exactly have a lot of time to train with that and get used to it, so I mean maybe that played a part along with the usual you know, um, well it's Scotland and this is what Scotland does. so I mean maybe that was always nagging in the back of their mind, but uh, and of course that, genetics, don't forget about genetics and, and of course genetics yes, that was the um I <laughs> You know, I wonder if this. I mean, I, I guess we'll, we'll never know unless you're in that boardroom making that decision. But I wonder if the the comments made by Strachan. You know, I, I'm sure everybody knows by now, but you know, basically saying that um, Scottish uh, Scotland and Scottish players uh, are at a sort of genetic disadvantage because they aren't as big and aren't as strong as teams like Slovenia and blah blah blah. Uh, I wonder if that was kinda that made Strachan's position untenable because you know, maybe they were thinking, you know, it, it, it did pick up in the players wanting to stay, maybe we can uh, we can actually have them through another campaign. But I wonder if seeing something like that just so so left field and frankly batshit insane, you know, that made them think, no, we, we can't stick by this. You know, we, we need to make a change because or else is this going to be an absolute mutiny in the stands.
1: I think I think what those comments did prove for anybody who didn't know it already was that Gordon Strachan, not only does he have this issue about player size, which is ironic given that he himself is never one of the biggest players in the world, Like his the most famous thing he ever did in a Scotland shirt was fail to jump over an advertising hoard and because he's so small. So <laughs> you know. I, I don't really understand where that comes from. But not only did it show that he's got this hang-up about size, he's willing to make up excuses using that for why they might not be winning and kind of absolve himself a little bit of any kind of blame for failure. He, he didn't come out and say, well, I've had five years good crack at this and I've not achieved anything, it's time for somebody else to give it a go. He came out and basically said there was never any chance he was going to do anything with such a small team and genetically it's going to take a long time before we can do anything in the future. It, would, it wouldn't It would even seem so ridiculous if all the best players and best teams in the world were full of absolute giants but you're talking about living in an era where Messi is arguably the best player in the world right now and Spain have been Spain and Germany have been if not the best teams at the moment have definitely been the best teams in the world over the last decade or so internationally so he, he couldn't have picked a worse time to have said it if there was ever a good time to say it but he just made himself look like a guy who was fresh out of ideas and thought I'm just going to chuck this in the pan if they if they grab on to it then good if they don't then I'm out kind of thing
0: I. It definitely did seem like the the comments of. Uh... <laughs> I guess what's a good way to put it maybe just like a different era you know where like that doesn't apply anymore you know maybe in like the 80s and 90s like physical size not that it's an irrelevance nowadays but I mean like maybe back then it was it'd be more relevant to to make a point on that but now I mean you can't you know you can't and the thing is it doesn't make sense for him either because he can't come out and say that and then but you'll still like you'll play like Barry Bannon in the midfield ahead of somebody else that's more physically in or whatever, so I, I, I don't know, but I mean like at the end of the day, he's gone now uh, he might have finished it himself with his comments, if, if not with his his management, but um, so I, I was just thinking like, it, it wasn't all bad, well you could argue it was all bad because we never qualified for anything, but I mean th- there was high points uh, throughout his reign, so I mean, I was just wondering, what, what would you say were your personal High point and low point—the uh, sort of two extremes. Like, what would what would you pick for each throughout Strachan's reign?
1: I would actually say that they were <laughs> they were within the same game, and they summed up his reign completely. Which is uh, the England game that Lee Griffiths scored the two free kicks, and we were we were ahead in the game, and it was just that kind of. I don't know, that that kind of fleeting moment where we thought we've beaten England here, not only has it got our World Cup campaign back on track, but we're about to come out on top against what's looking like it's going to be a very talented England side over the next few years, and then within a hair's breadth of a second we've conceded one of the most shambolic goals you could ever come across. And... Uh, And sort of surrendered the lead and ended up with only a point. And again, like I say, before the match, you're talking about not expecting anything from it, essentially. And yet, at the end, we still end up feeling like we're disappointed because we know how close we were to it. I just felt like that whole game was everything about his reign. It was just this kind of... (sighs) This high that was achieved almost in spite of him rather than because of him And then and then something catastrophic happening almost immediately afterwards That caused us to just become totally deflated So that for me was the kind of two juxtaposing points Where I thought was both the highest and the lowest point of his reign really
0: Aye, that, that's hard to argue with I think you've probably nailed it there because I've still got, I mean know that it was pure ages ago that I've still got very, very vivid memories of watching that game. Um, I don't remember ever celebrating goals the way that I've celebrated Lee Griffith's goals. And then I remember after the second one went in and you look at the clock and we're like, you know, I I need time now. And I remember turning to my mate and saying, we can't." throw so away now I, I can't take it I will not be able to take it if we don't win this game you know in the context of everything in that game you know how important it was in our qualification hopes who it was against where it was and what it kind of came on the back of you know because I we had a decent result before that but I mean the start of that campaign was just so bad that it now felt like oh my god we actually might beat England here and then we don't I mean I don't think you can necessarily, and I, I I know this isn't what you were saying, but I, I I don't think you can fault Strachan with the way that game ended because that was a series of sort of like individual mistakes that, you know, the way Armstrong just picked the wrong pass and then uh, Gordon arguably could have came for the cross, that kind of thing. But it was just in such a small space of time, there probably isn't a better cross-section you could show anybody to say this is what it's like being a scotland fan Uh and it's probably quite specifically this is what it's like being a scotland fan under strachan because i think i think other than that like you you would say that maybe um strachan probably had like you, you overseen long spells of good and bad so the first like you would argue, like, the first, like, two years of his reign were, like, largely pretty good. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you think about the, the sort of... was essentially the second half of the campaign he came in for, and then the first half of the campaign, uh, of the next campaign. It's like, if you put them together, that probably would have been good enough to actually, you know, get us somewhere. But it's it always seemed to be... That that was unfortunate in itself, but then something bad would happen, and then it would sort of last for ages. There'd be like this malaise about the way we're playing, and but I, but I would never be quite bad enough for like yeah, a, I, I a think decision to get made, you know.
1: Yeah, that's what I that's what I almost think sums up his reign is is this kind of high point followed by a kind of low ebb that just he didn't seem able to get us out of at any point and we didn't seem to get ourselves out of in terms of the team I'm talking about and I guess it goes back to the point that I was making or that we were making in the last pod about identity and all that that he failed to stamp any identity on the team and it it just all the stuff we're talking about now just seems to speak to this whole point for me of he just happened to be sitting in the manager's chair for me. Everything that happened over the last two years was almost incidental. Like it happened in spite <laughs> of him rather than because of him. And that's definitely the way I felt, the way things were going along. You could have replaced them with absolutely anybody. And, and I don't think things would necessarily have been different. They could only have been possibly better because there was somebody who's maybe going to stamp a kind of certain way of playing on the team that he just didn't. Doesn't ever seem to do anywhere that I've seen them, and they just seem to the eleven people that have been picked for this for the first team go out on the pitch and they play as well as any team can play football without very much direction from the manager. That's the way it looks to me, anyway.
0: Aye, aye, I would. Yeah, I would. It's hard to argue against any of that because it's. I mean, like you said, it was. I think when you look at a lot of the high points like you look at that England game right because it's easy to think back and say oh we scored the free kicks and that we won the exactly great though you know what I mean like we were actually quite rubbish we were defensively quite solid but we didn't really do anything in the game up until the free kicks and so you can kind of sort of blame them for that I mean I hey, there's going to be a gulf in quality but you certainly kind of credit them. For Lee Griffiths scoring two thirty-yard free kicks, I mean, you can that? barely
1: even credit him for Lee Griffiths being in the team because he waited, taken long Yeah, uh, he waited so long to do it to the point where there was really no other option other than for him to do it. He never looked himself and immediately saw, "Oh, Lee Griffiths is probably the freest scoring Scottish striker either in Scotland or in England." I'm going to put him in the team. He waited until. Chris Martin was doing absolutely nothing and he couldn't do anything other than put him in the team and the pressure was there from the media and from the fans. So he can barely even take the credit for Lee Griffiths being on the pitch that day, never mind go a step further and take any credit for him actually putting the free kicks in the back of the net.
0: You know, it's actually just occurred to me there uh, to bring it up because I was actually thinking this other day um, where obviously this isn't related to Scotland or whatever, but uh, Claude Puel just got the the job at Leicester and um, a lot of people are quite surprised. You know, despite him having a really good CV and stuff like that, uh, and he actually did quite well at Southampton, uh, which was probably a little harshly treated there. But it's quite interesting to hear that, uh, it's my opinion as well, but you know, you hear in like a, a lot of other podcasts, people saying that it probably doesn't help that, Claude Powell just comes across like a piece of cardboard when it comes to like press conferences and stuff like that. And you wonder, like, because like Strachan's like the opposite of that, you know, he's always got a wee quip and a wee joke and he's always like really facetious and stuff. And you can't help but think that that papers over a lot of cracks in terms of how well or how badly things are actually going with a Gordon and team because all he has to do is make a wee joke and stuff and then he completely disarms all the journalists that are in the room, you know. Oh, I, and, think, uh, I do uh,
1: definitely think there's uh, there's such a thing as a, the cult of personality when it comes to managers and, and it does help them stave off um, criticism for a long, long time. Klopp at Liverpool is only really starting to get criticism now, probably a few months after he was really due it because... I think as well, he's a very likeable guy who who puts everybody at ease, has a good atmosphere, he's got interviews that you want to watch. So you're actually less willing to have a go at him than you would be somebody else, like say Arsene Wenger, who's got like a very dour personality most of the time, or comes across that way. Um, not trying to make it look like we're just having a lot French guys here, but it's... <laughs> but <laughs> But, it's, but, yeah, I definitely think where Strachan's concerned, uh, there's definitely that thing of the Scotland fans initially, and certainly as a Celtic fan, when when we had him in charge, uh, there was a, a kind of thing of he immediately got the fans on side because he was so hostile towards the media. And that always gets you on the side of the fans. But that only lasts so long they're going to want to eventually see results and rewards on the pitch. Otherwise, your your quippy wee answers turn from, ah, he showed him, to actually, do you even care about what you're supposed to be doing here? So there's a fine line to be to be drawn.
0: Uh, it's, it's a very sort of political manoeuvre, I think, even if he doesn't mean it as such, uh, or people like him, not just him, but, you know, it's very, very much deflective, you know, because you can sort of, move on to the next question without answering the one you've just been asked or saying no comment because like a wee joke or whatever is like it's just no comment dressed up as something else and uh, he seemed to again whether he meant it or not he seemed to become a master of that uh, towards the end and arguably as well I would say he, he was actually given maybe a wee bit too much when he's enough questions asked of him uh from the from the press in this country uh so hopefully going forward no matter who it is um they'll be maybe they'll ask a little more accountability of whoever the, the, the new guy is um because i think i think it is it's, sometimes it is too easy being Scotland manager. I mean, I may be not for the fans because you know we we demand a lot, and, and we're obviously we're very quick to criticise, probably more often than not, rightly so. But um, I, I still think that sometimes uh, managers should maybe not uh, get away with. Controversy so easily up here But uh, speaking of controversy uh, Malky Mackay <laughs> has been named as the uh, Interim Manager for this Or uh, well, at least for this upcoming Friendly against the Netherlands Which has caused some controversy given that he's Previously been caught sharing racist Sexist and homophobic comments With his inner circle during his time at Cardiff So I mean And what, anti-Semitic
1: what your... don't forget
0: about oh, oh that yeah, And anti-Semitic I mean, You I get the probably... full
1: house and the ignorant
0: spangles <laughs> or... I, I, I could probably <laughs> Fill the rest of this pod uh, with uh, basically what what he's what he said, but let's not. Uh, but yeah, so so what what's what's your take being on it? Like initially, what was your reaction? And I guess um, I've got a follow up question as well, but I think I think I'll wait uh, until I ask that. But uh, so, what was your, what was your initial reaction to this?
1: Well, my initial reaction to it was was obviously I was a bit I was not happy with it initially because I thought knowing his history and knowing the fact that uh, he had been accused of what he'd been accused of and subsequently, as far as I'm aware, had been found guilty of it and uh, I thought that's not somebody that I really want representing the country at that kind of level but I did decide before we come on to talk about it tonight to go back and look at what he'd actually written, look at the circumstances around it, look at his reaction to it and it just made it 10 times worse because I was expecting to go back and see it and think okay it's bad but maybe time has made us all react to it even greater and make a bigger thing of it than it was but the truth of it is the text messages were absolutely horrendous they were between him and a work colleague and they were about other work colleagues It it just absolutely beggars belief and, and then you look at his Response when he was uh when I, I watched a video on the BBC website of an apology that he made, and he starts out as well as anybody can start out in this situation and saying there's no excuse for it. There's this, there's that, and then he but then he goes on to provide excuses. One being that he was under stress at the club at the time. Uh, Another being that of 10,000 text messages that were sent, um, that were investigated, he only sent three. And then saying uh, that if you asked anybody to surrender their text messages for investigation, he's sure that all of us would have embarrassing ones in our phones. I'm not denying any of that but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't ever use any of the language that he used in conversation with a work colleague about other work colleagues and I think that's where it differs and even even taking away the comparison of any of her behaviour to his, the point is he did it and he was supposed to be apologising for it and there was still an element of that there was still a, a kind of he still played the victim a bit too much for me. Even when he was appointed a director of performance or whatever it is, he's he's like sort of full time position. Is he he refused to say that the the messages and things like that were racist. He said that having been on the equality and diversity courses in the intervening period, he now knew mo- more about equality and diversity than anybody sitting in that room. <laughs> and that a that the last three times that he had been given a job the same person had come out and written a negative story about him whether it be that or whether it be anything else that's going on that I'm not going to go into because I don't know where you would stand on that but it just all smacks a little bit to me of a guy who doesn't really see the full nature of what he did as being wrong, doesn't really see where he went wrong and and still thinks that football was him a living. That's definitely the way it comes across to me anyway.
0: Well, I, this was kind of great with my follow-up question, was that almost, not quite, but almost to play devil's advocate here, do you think there is a wee bit of hypocrisy in the fan base's reaction as a whole because they frankly didn't seem to give a shit when he was named performance director. But now he's manager, suddenly it's a problem. You know, there were fine women in the background and stuff. But and I would I would admit that yes, there is always a difference because when you become the manager of the team, you then therefore become the more public figurehead. I do get that difference, but do you think there is maybe a wee bit of hypocrisy that only now people are like moaning about it?
1: I definitely think there is a bit of hypocrisy there and something that I myself am guilty of. Like for me, I don't even think that he necessarily doesn't deserve a second chance in football that's not what I'm saying we all we're all human beings we all make mistakes he's obviously done uh, things and tried to execute measures to try and resolve any sort of ignorance that he had or any education that he needed He's, he's definitely tried to do that but what I would say is that that doesn't mean then that you're at any point fit thereafter to represent the country at a national or international level. Feel free to work in club football all you like, but I don't want somebody like that representing my country because does that create a a negative impression from the rest of the world on what a Scottish person is, what a Scottish person's values are and, and what their tolerances are? I do think there's hypocrisy that, that like you say, there wasn't quite as much discussed uh, when he was appointed uh, performance director. But I think that comes down to two reasons. One, like you say, it's not as public a face and therefore it's not as international a representation of the country as a whole. And and the other more, more pressing factor, I think, is nobody really knows what a performance director does, so they don't really care who it is that's doing it. I I certainly think that feeds into the ignorance, whether it's right or it's wrong. But certainly, I do think there's been a bit of hypocrisy there. and, And on that measure, I would still say, don't have him working within the upper echelons of the SFA. Have him, even have him coaching if you want, or even have him doing some of the diversity and equality stuff from the stuff that he's learned do whatever you like, but I don't think he needs to be a, a senior figurehead at any part of the SFA going forward. But that's just my personal opinion.
0: Aye, I think it's hard to disagree with a lot of that. And uh, I think oh, I, uh, probably a lot of it does come down to opinion because at the end of the day, you know, we kind of get inside his head and know exactly where he's at or what his intent was in the past or whatever. But my impression is that, yeah, he does. He, I think he has probably learned from what he's done, you know, and like, is, uh, I'm a million miles away from excusing anything that he said, but he probably did it at a time think that, let's be honest, nobody's going to see this, so what's the difference? And maybe it was letting off steam and stuff like that, but that's not an excuse in the slightest.
1: But, I think, but I think like that's, that. I think that's what I'm saying, not that I'm saying that I would be in any way racist or homophobic or any of the other things that he did, but the point is, I don't think I would do it to a work colleague, which is what you did. Aye. Aye, I, think I think that's that. where I the
0: distinction yeah, is. I think that that is where the difference comes in as well. where like, you're <laughs> not just like talking to your pals saying, or oh, and like effing and blinding, saying like, oh, I'm having an awful day here, and all oh, that this guy's a this guy's a cunt, this guy's a wank. I know I'm doing a lot of swearing here, but I mean, it's my podcast, I don't care. But yeah. uh, you know, but, you know it's, it's, the difference between like just effing and blinding and and just Swearing and and all that, and then kind of specifically, like racially targeting people, you know, and like it's just one excuse, uh, or excuse or example, um, or that, that
1: like was another said, thing. That was another thing he said. There's one of his um ex, sort of excuses. He said something about as kind of a mitigating factor for his for him being allowed to continue in football is that he's worked and played as part of a multicultural football society for 25 years. And you think, well, surely then you more than anybody should be culturally aware of sensitivities of other cultures, other races, other ethnicities, more than somebody who hasn't had such a multicultural career. He almost used it as a thing of a justification for the way he behaves. Well, well, I work in a multicultural society, so I must kind of know how to behave properly by rote, and obviously he didn't. So I don't know. I, I think I think like I say, you can't you can't hold it against the guy for for too long. He, he's he's made steps to sort of resolve his ignorance. It was three or four years ago now. He I think, I think he's I think he's trying his best to overcome it, but uh, to me that still doesn't mean that you necessarily need to put him in charge of the national team.
0: Aye, and uh, that's kind of what I was going with Is that, uh, yeah, I do think that everybody deserves to have a second chance, but equally I do think that maybe some mistakes are so bad uh, that, yeah, it should rule you out of certain things. And I think what he was uh, caught saying means that he shouldn't be a Scotland manager. Uh, now, I mean, I get that at the moment, at least it's, it's interim, and he was probably the the best person to come in uh, in a, a short term basis. But I would be I'd be quite concerned if he did get offered the job long term because I, I just I, I, I don't know how I'd feel about it personally you know because like th- because then I start thinking I mean how much can I really go along with this if I, if I really don't agree with this and I really uh, don't want to be seen as supporting um the kind of institution that would make that decision uh, or like you know financially back them uh I just hope I'm not put in that position basically because that's when it can get really complicated and unfortunate and I would hate to be put in a position where like maybe for like a year or two at least I'd have to sort of maybe take a backseat in terms of like going to games and stuff, but rightly or wrongly, he is in charge for this match coming up against the Netherlands, and he's named an interesting squad uh, with a number of uh, long overdue inclusions, so like Kenny McLean, Graham Shinney, uh, Ryan Christie, um, Paul Hanlon's in there, Jason Cummings is in there, and also Ryan Jack for some reason. Um, so how do you feel this squad's looking, uh, even, uh, even out with the context of this one-off friendly? I mean, how do you think it maybe looks good towards the future because I think one thing that uh, Mackay said in the press conference that was linked to the uh, squad being named was that he said that there was a few players in not 21s and he never mentioned them but from what I took uh, or sorry he never named them but from what I took from what he said he basically was referring to like the likes of John Suter for example that he could have called up but they've got competitive games and he would rather keep that team together so how do you think this squad kind of looks uh going forward, not just for this game?
1: Um, well, I mean, there's certainly some like refreshing updates to it. I think when we first saw the squad came out, I, I mentioned to you um, off, off the pod that, for me, two of the most exciting inclusions there is uh, Ryan Christie and Paul Han- Hanlon. I think they are two players who have had really good seasons so far, playing in quite strong teams and have kind of merited their place in the squad a lot more than some of the the kind of uh, names that seem to just remain in the squad no matter come hell or high water with Gordon Strachan, I think. You're looking at two players there who really have merited a place and I I think could make a difference if they were actually given a chance. Obviously, it's it's disappointing to hear that um, players like Darren Fletcher and Lee Griffiths have already pulled out for for one reason or another because I think without those two in particular, you're not likely to see what our strongest potential um, team could be against the Netherlands. But... Equally, that gives a couple other guys a chance to come in and, and and kind of try and stake a place for the next time that there's competitive matches in the horizon.
0: Aye, I mean, I I would maybe say that uh, what you were saying about the withdrawals there, I'd say maybe only Griffiths would probably be in the strongest team, but I mean, that's all subjective, I suppose, because. But uh, I, I think what I took from when the scope was initially named was, was largely the same as you. I was thinking, like, oh wow, look, you know, these people are actually finally in. And then you look at some some of the younger ones as well. So, like, kind of like Christy, because you would say Christy and like Callum McGregor as well. I mean, it's maybe only in the last like sort of six to 12 months you would think, yeah, they should be in the squad, you know, like, cause they've been performing quite well. And now they're in. Uh, and you sort of go beyond that, and like you say, like people like Hanlon, it's like yeah it's good it's time we had something like him and um, I know that uh, a pal of mine he writes for the Scotsman uh, who I hope to have an the pod at some point actually I'm not, I'm not expecting about that but he um, he's been sort of kind of semi-gloating recently because he wrote an article when Hibs were still in the championship uh, saying that maybe Paul Hanlon should get a call up um, even though he's at that level because basically if John McGinn can get called up why well, not this guy mm-hmm. because it's, it's, a, it's a area of the pitch that we've touched on in many times that Scotland have, have struggled. Um, another thing I took from this squad as well, which I thought was quite interesting, um, could be coincidental, uh, but what I was thinking was there wasn't any of the sort of quote unquote English born players in it, you know, like or, apart from like Liam Cooper, but again, he's a centre back, we're weak at that centre back, so there's not really many options. But in the like to like. Matt Ritchie, Matt Phillips, you know, blah, 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 Chris Martin. Um, none of them were called in the squad. And I wonder if maybe that was kinda um partly to do with what um Mackay's day-to-day job is in terms of being a performance director, because you know, part of his um
1: Or maybe he's xenophobic as well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well. maybe 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 he is. I
1: I I'll
0: leave it, Ellen. <laughs> no, I mean, like you know, because part of his uh, job description is to like promote uh, young players in Scotland, you know, and to make sure there is a pathway going from like the under twenty ones, you know, under 17s not like into the senior team. Uh, maybe sort of just try to make a point um, of saying like we don't need to rely on these guys. Because personally, I've never had a problem really. Like, it's so long as if if we come into the team. you try your hardest and you might be there I don't care frankly
1: and if you you improve the team exactly for example example, I have no problem with Matt Phillips being in the team because for me I think he's one of the best options that we could have in the squad Mm -hmm. whereas like Chris Martin surely there's other better options out there or are you just picking him because he plays at a higher standard down in England like it, it there's there is definitely a balance to be struck. I don't but but I appreciate what you're saying in terms of it. it could be that he's just making a point of saying I am the director of football normally, and I've been tasked with bringing on youth and look here, I can provide a full squad of players all based in Scotland. That, uh, or, or certainly reared in Scotland in some sense that we can get a full international squad out of which is not something we've always been able to do in the past.
0: Aye I mean because uh, like Chris Martin could be for the gobbles and I still say shite so <laughs> it doesn't really matter there but I know absolutely I, I think uh, it's, it's just something that occurred to me um, after looking at the squad a couple of times I was like you know there is people missing and, or, or missing as in missing from a, a classic tracking squad and when I started to add up who it was there was this sort of like common thread so I mean I, either, either that is what he's doing or indeed he's xenophobic so I guess uh, <laughs> I guess maybe when you have a look at his text again to find out, but um, so in terms of we, we, the last time we did a pod, uh, we did talk about our ideal sort of candidates, you know, in the if striking left, but now he has gone, uh, kind of looking at the the people that have been, like, linked with the job. Um, As we record this, so this is, like, you know, Monday, the, what, 6th of November, is it today? Uh, so um, Slavin Bilic has been sacked from West Ham. And it looks like the... David Moyes is going to go in and take that job so I'm elated frankly because that means <laughs> that he's probably not going to get a Scotland job so I'm into that but also it does open up the possibility of Bellich himself maybe being in there running for the Scotland job and I know that yeah. sounds maybe a wee bit silly if he's just been sacked, is he good enough but I mean he's record at national level um, managing international football, he had the Croatia job for like six years um, and he did did very very well in his time with that team. Um, he took them to two tournaments. Well, sorry, no, he qualified them for two tournaments, but he left before uh, the second tournament because he went to go take over look at Moscow, I believe it was. Um, so I, I wouldn't be opposed to that personally. Um, I mean, my dream would still be Elsa, but you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and then, you know, I mean,
1: maybe I, think we, I, I mean, think we were
0: talking about that in Twitter, d- yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, Thomas Tuchel's at a job and all. We're just saying, <laughs> we're just saying, come on, but um, but no, I mean, like uh, him, or if we're going to stay Scottish, and again, you know, maybe if Malcolm McKay's got into day with this, maybe he'll insist on Denis McGinnis. Who knows? <laughs> but if if we if we do need to stay Scottish, and he's probably my my favourite Scottish option. But I mean, Bill I would, I would not. Be against that. I mean, what's so, what? Oh, and also, sorry, before I even ask you, uh, there have been rumblings, uh, shall we say? Uh, some have already rolled themselves out, and some haven't. Uh, two names that in mind, one is Sam Allardyce uh, and the other was Harry Redknapp that's been linked oh. with, the, with the post so uh, if you'd like to maybe focus on the the more positive options first and then we'll end on those uh, w- what's your take on these options? Uh,
1: well I mean certainly from a Scottish point of view there, there is no nobody better than Derek McInnes on current form and recent form, I would say he is certainly the strongest um, Scottish manager in the domestic game and probably within the British game, to be honest. Uh, He has done wonders with Aberdeen. He he obviously has this footballing philosophy that we talked about Strachan lacking, and he seems to be operating in a very principled manner. And the reason I say that is... Obviously, given his history as a player, he was uh, linked to the vacant Rangers job just recently. And without
0: don't do it, Derek. So, don't do it. Don't
1: yeah, do well, it, well, vacant. without saying without saying in so many words that he was talking about Rangers, he did come out and say, "I, I think it's important to have a stable." Uh, kind of base from which to work. There's got to be harmonious relationships within the the structure and the setup that you're working in. That's the only thing that's going to breed success. Now, while that might rule out Rangers, it might also rule out Scotland, (laughs) (laughs) depending on what his views are on the SFA. But certainly if you could convince him, if he didn't feel like that he still had more to do with Aberdeen, then I think he's definitely the one that I would... If I was in charge of the SFA I'd be going hammering tongs to get him outside of that I think we've got to look for somebody who's a bit of an international football specialist somebody who's got a record at international football that that has proved that they can actually manage not only just at that level but maybe teams around our size at that level so uh, the one that I always come back to that I think would be great, whether it's a realistic one or not, is Lars Lagerbeck. I think he, he's he got a history of managing small nations and and leading them to punch above their weight. And as much as my pride hurts to say it, that's definitely the category we fall into now. Where to even qualify for a tournament, we would be punching above a rate. So it would need to be somebody like that, I feel, that, that could potentially you know take us to that next level obviously there's more glamorous names available that you that you mentioned but realistically they're not people that we're going we're going to manage to get a hold of I don't think either budget wise or just because they're holding out for something a bit more ambitious
0: and uh, any thoughts on the old allies red map
1: i mean as I said to somebody on Twitter, did somebody tell Harry Redknapp that Nico Cranchar isn't Scottish? Like he, he, he can <laughs> I can't imagine him being any good in an international setting. Never mind with a team that has been as poor over the years as Scotland has. For a start, he's already showed that he he's far beyond the time that he would ever kind of move geographically to anywhere that he was given a job and invest in it in that sense. So you're already getting a lack of commitment from him that I think we can't really afford at this time. As far as Sam Allardyce is concerned, I actually wouldn't wouldn't see that as such an issue from a footballing sense. I don't find these football attractive, but it's certainly effective and I think it could probably do a job for us as an underdog team looking to compete with some of the bigger teams but I don't think realistically PR or otherwise it's a sensible move for the SFA to attempt to appoint a guy who left England under such a cloud. I think that would just say so much about what we would be willing to accept compared to what they would be willing to accept in the recent events, from the FA down in England or anything to go by, they're not the kind of people you want to be below on the moral <laughs> high ground. So it's like, it, it kind of leaves you in a position where you're a bit like, well, who's it going to be? For me, it's it's Derek McInnes or Bust, really.
0: Aye, aye. I, I mean, I, I really am quite warm into the idea of village. I mean, I get to see if you, if you ask me right now who do you want I have probably said Derek McInnes uh, I'm really well, if, warm
1: if the SFA, idea If the SFA come out tomorrow And said Slavin Village is the manager No complaints from me whatever.
0: Aye, absolutely. Uh, Well, kind of the same way, like, Lagerbank, my only uh, doubt about that, and kind of why, in my mind, he's sort of been ruled out, is the fact that he's he's only started as a Norway manager, like, earlier this year. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know if maybe he would be willing to like start something it's, it's not that like we couldn't go to Norway and say you know like maybe here's like half a million compensation or probably probably not even that to be honest it's not like we couldn't do that uh, but it, it's more like would he want to kind of just like start from scratch again so soon after taking that job uh, Hi Redknapp I, I would never go to a game sure. I would probably never watch a game uh, if if he was in charge just morally I mean, the guy's a prick, and uh, uh, no, basically. I mean, as I can I can't sum it up beyond just saying no a billion times, just no. I actually um, don't
1: know whether. I mean, I read some of the comments that he made around the job, and I don't know whether he actually wants it or whether it's Harry being Harry and just trying to let people know you know I'm still here I'm still available to do manager's jobs I don't want that one but I'll just mention it so as so that you know I'm I'm about it was just to me it was just a bit of tactical sort of musing uh, to use pals at the papers
0: Aye, uh, I mean Paul wait, every logical fibre in my being knows that he's not going to get the job but it's the fact that somebody's mentioned it it, it just scares me you know, like it scares me so much. It's like a phobia. You know, it's like <laughs> completely irrational. You know that there's nothing to be scared of, but
1: even when the question was posed to him, you were like, "Okay, it's ridiculous that it's even got this far, but we just need him to blow it out of the water," and then he didn't, and you're like, "Oh God!" Oh, could... I know,
0: I know. I mean, it's basically it's basically red napophobia You know, that's that's what it is. And, <laughs> and oh, I just, oh my God, I mean, i I'm even kind of. I'm actually, I literally have got my head in my hands at the moment, like just (laughs) thinking about, imagine it, imagine it, you know, a stupid melted waxwork face, you know, like (laughs) at a press conference saying, oh, it's it's terrific to be here, you know, like, no, like, no. Oh, my God. The
1: annoying annoying thing would be, you know, for a fact, if he ends up getting the job, he will qualify for the next Euros. (laughs) Like that will happen. And and then...
0: But that's the just of, like another you yeah. know. Like you know, and it's—I don't think. I, no, I, I don't think. I've always given that choice somehow. You know, it's like, ah, oh, you'll qualify, but it'll be higher ed, and that would take you there. No thanks. <laughs> no no, that's that's not worth it to me you know, that, I mean, that just shows
1: just, you as a, even as a Scotland fan you've got a shred of dignity left about you just a shred
0: oh, aye, right? aye. Just, just, just a wee bit you know I mean uh, being a Scotland fan like uh, uh, it beats it out of you so much but there's always just enough to cling on to, you know, like that, enough pride and enough to make you sort of consider spending 60 quid on a kit, which uh, kind of brings me on to, you know, today the, the new the new home kit was brought out, and I say kit sorry, to get the kit would be about 100 quid, the top in itself is, a, is 60 quid, which is an increase on the uh, just ridiculous 55 quid I think it was last time uh, you can say something about inflation if you want but don't because that's ridiculous uh but I, I think i think part of the problem there is um i mean ah, it's always been quite expensive to buy like football soft and stuff like that but for whatever reason um the sfa have got like a deal with gd i believe it is to sell it uh exclusively so Obviously that sounds a, like a very
1: SFA move. I don't know
0: aye, how accurate s- it is, but it sounds like something they would do. I, I, it's definitely an exclusivity thing. I think it's JD anyway, so it, it basically means there's no competition and therefore they can charge what they want, yeah. you know, because there's no one, there's no somebody across the street selling it for 50, so that, oh, we'll need to do it for like 47.99 or something. So they're, just, you know, they're absolutely taking the piss. Uh, but before we get back on that, I suppose, I, mean, what, ugh, I know it's not exactly a very interesting question, because it's weird, because like, I, I actually was really looking forward to it this morning. I actually got quite excited, ugh. and then I saw it, and I'm like, what was I expecting? You know what I mean? like It's just it's a home kit. It's going to look like a Scotland tap. You know what I mean? Like, But, he, he, but he,
1: he, given the history of Scotland kits over recent years, the fact that it came out and it wasn't an embarrassment was actually a relief. <laughs>
0: I but it is well. Is is this where we differ then? Like, well, what's your thoughts been on the last couple of weeks? You know, the the, the roseberry one and, and the and the pink one. What, what what did you think of them?
1: Well, I I'll sum it up by saying this. My mum was watching one of the games recently, uh, and and she doesn't. She was a she was a football fan when she was a lot younger, but hasn't really taken an interest in it for a number of years. And was watching me watching one of the games. I can't remember what one it was. We were wearing pink recently, but uh, she came in and she was like, "Who's that playing?" I said, it's "Scotland." And she went in a pink strip. When did Scotland start wearing pink strips? Like, not even, not even from like a kind of negative point of view. She just couldn't understand it. Like, why we would be <laughs> in that color. There is no. There's no association with it. You know, the line Rampant is red and yellow, so why is there not red and yellow in the away strip? Or why is it not just a reversal of what the home kit is or something like that? Like, there's just no logic to it to me other than... It must just be a marketing thing. Are they just trying to target... Are they hoping that males will buy the home kit and females will buy the away kit? I know that that was certainly a lot of the market employee behind Celtic releasing that bright pink abomination that they did as well like (laughs) it seems to be the way things are going where they actually don't seem to realise that certainly speaking from a female's point of view if you give me a slightly different fitted version of the top that is slightly more complementary to a female I'd be more than happy to wear the same colours as the male strip if it was just a slightly better fit for me to wear so from that point of view, they don't need to market everything in pink to you, because well, let's face it, most girls that watch football are not going to be that interested in pink anyway. I might be generalising completely by saying that, but that's my opinion. I think I think the new kit is kind of harking back to the classic, kind of 80s kits. You know, the the team that had Soonus in it, and uh, like young Paul McStay and you know, players are that ilk, and it and it kind of does remind you of a kind of better time to be a Scotland fan, which at the very least is a positive thing.
0: Ah, it seems to be a sort of common thread. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, we a lot of these new, new kits that have came out from Adidas, especially uh, that seem to be sort of harking back to like classic kits. I mean, you've seen like Germany's new kit, for example, is is very much based on the. I think it's the. Uh, 1990, I think. Yeah. I, I, uh, so uh, it's, uh, they're all looking pretty, pretty good. Uh, in terms of this new one, I think, uh, in a weird way, I think I'd almost need to see it in person. You know, because it seems to have a little bit more detail on it that you maybe can't quite get from just like seeing a picture of it. Um, but in terms of the recent awakenings and stuff, I mean, maybe it's just me. I love them. I mean, <laughs> that's. But I mean, I, that's just the sort of guy. am, um, you know, I just, I love just. Stuff that looks stupid, basically, and I know it looks stupid, and I know it's ridiculous, but it's you know it's it's one of the things that I wear with most, most pride is is that roseberry kit you know that sort of rhubarb and custard pink and yellow, we 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 Gendo ten on the back of it. Oh, it's brilliant! Like, I, I I love wearing that. It's great, but um, I I will admit, probably yeah, probably the pink one, the most recent one. It did maybe feel a wee bit. Markety, you know, like it did feel like a bit of a how can I put it, I guess like a bit of a joke, but like maybe a joke too far, I mean I did like it I really do quite like it, I never got it personally, uh, purely because I'll probably keep wearing that Roseberry one for like an hour, ten years to be honest, but I mean it just, it did feel a wee bit I like it, it was marketed towards the sort of the banter crowd you know uh yeah. and it, it, it maybe it was a little bit sort of condescending towards the the female fan base as well like that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's oh, i that's i don't know what the hell? Some uh, companies think when they when you do things like that, you know, it is just ridiculous. But I
1: think I think one thing I do like that has has been quite a common theme in a few of the the more recent home kits that, as long as it's not done too gimmicky and it's a, it's it's quite subdued and quite classy, is I do like to see some tartan in the kit. I think I think mm-hmm. that's something that you know. Regardless of, you know, what clan or whatever you're talking about, like tartan is an unmistakably Scottish thing that people will recognise and that having friends all over the world myself, it's one of the things that they identify as unmistakably Scottish. So why not have that on our kit to set us apart from anybody else? Nobody else is going to have tartan on their kit for any reason. So why shouldn't we do more to make that more of an integral part of our designs like I, I do think that that's something that we should consider being more of a regular thing going forward
0: I absolutely agree with that and, and I, I think I've quite liked in the last I can't remember how long I've been doing this but certainly in the last maybe I don't know, eight years I, I've quite enjoyed that they've uh they've managed to fit in the word Alba somewhere on the kit as well which I quite like in a sense because it is like it's like a wee nod to sort of like historical Scotland and also you know large parts of Scotland as well that, that, uh, that do speak uh, Gaelic you know it, it seems quite a, quite an inclusive thing uh, without mm. being too over the top as you said you know um, in terms of the away, the, the away kit it's not been uh, announced or shown yet and uh, personally I've been hoping for ages that we'll go back to like a yellow one a bit like the France 98 sort of awake it, you know. Yeah. I'm looking forward to something like that. And, and as, you, as you said as well, it does kind of make sense because it isn't a line rampant, you know. So, I mean, maybe we've had our film of pink in recent years and, you know, maybe we can go back to, you know, maybe something a little bit more... Something a wee bit more subtle. Let's put it that way. Um, no. Right. Well, well, we'll we'll round this off at, at the moment. Because I've got uh, one. I've got a question here actually that uh, one of my mates uh, asked me. Um, that I thought I'd bring it over the pod. Uh, so it's my mate Ian, and he was asking, uh, "What are your thoughts on?" The possibility of Scotland kind of moving permanently away from Hamden Park uh, because I believe it's 2020 that the lease uh, is up, and you know, there's still the question of are they going to renew it, or are they going to like maybe take it on tour around the country, like a lot of countries do, uh, or are they going to maybe move to like Murrayfield, for example? Uh, so, what, what do you think about that?
1: I would be 100% up for moving away from Hamden for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's an absolutely terrible stadium for atmosphere. I think I, I think the fans, especially the ones at the ends of the pitches behind the goals, are so far from the action that it's very hard, A, to create an atmosphere or to make the opposition feel in any way intimidated by what is still admittedly a large crowd there. And uh, B, I think... The touring option is certainly something that uh, that I think should be explored purely because, certainly from my experience, I don't know if you agree, but culturally, I think a lot of the Tartan may come from out with Glasgow specifically. Like mm. a lot, I think historically speaking, a lot of the Glaswegians, because they had so much uh, loyal following of either Celtic or Rangers, they quite often Scotland was kind of second on their priority list, whereas I think still uh, a lot of the teams out with the old firm, uh, I'll get into trouble of some folk for calling it the old firm, but we'll not get into that. (laughs) Um, um, But I think certainly like with some of the clubs outside uh, Glasgow teams um, still hold that kind of more traditional feeling of Scotland comes first above all else. So, to be able to reward those fans by saying, oh, we'll play this match at Pataudre, we'll play this match at Easter Road, we'll play this match at, you know, wherever, um, I think would do wonders for ticket sales. It would would do wonders for the Tartan Army morale as a a whole. And it would just give the SFA a chance to get the team around the country, re-engaging the fan base with football and making them feel like it's not, you know, Train journeys to and from Glasgow don't become a part of the cost of going to see your national team and uh, and give you a chance to see them just down the road. Because although I'm from Glasgow myself and so have the luxury of only being 20 minutes away from the stadium if I wanted to go to a game, there's so many people who probably would always love to go to the Scotland games but almost never get the chance because it means a whole weekend or a whole day or a whole a whole number of hours more travel that that they maybe don't have the time to spare. So certainly for me, if there was an option to, to take it around the country for at least one campaign and see how that worked out, I, I think it's definitely worth a go.
0: Aye, be, being from, like, a, around Glasgow myself, I mean, there's that selfish part of me. It's like, nah, that's fine, keep it here. Uh, because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy. Uh, and, like, you know, getting a, a return ticket in the train from, like, basically my house is, like, £3 odd, so it kind of suits me. Um, but also being quite pragmatic and realistic about it, aye, the atmosphere at Hamden is largely terrible. I mean, it takes something special for you to actually feel the atmosphere you know I mean it takes something like the end of that Slovakia game we had there it takes equalizing against Germany you know what I mean when it, it shouldn't it shouldn't take that you know it, it should take just being there it should take scoring a goal no matter if it's the first or an equalizer you know, it doesn't matter who's against, like the atmosphere should always be there, and, and it, it does suffer because Hamden is such a poor stadium in that regard. I mean, I, I think it's, I think sometimes it's maybe hard to tell on if you watch it on telly, but I mean, if you've been there and if you're anywhere near being behind one of the goals, it is. A massive gap between yeah. the pitch and the stand it is huge. Like it feels like I'm just trying to picture this in my mind, though, but it honestly feels. It's, a, a bit it's almost
1: like, as if there's a whole there's a whole other pitch between where your seat right. is and the goal line.
0: It feels and then like you get the
1: it, entire pitch stretching beyond that. Then, right,
0: because by the time like, you
1: get to the other, if if Scotland are shooting in the other end of the pitch, you get next to no chance of seeing what's actually happening.
0: Yeah, because if it, it feels like, I would say, I don't think I'm exaggerating too much here. Where it, it, obviously, it, it curves round, but it's sort of at the furthest away bit behind the goal. So the distance between there and the actual goal itself is probably about 50 yards. Yeah, and it's that's insane, you know. I mean, you'd rather it would, you'd be in a place that would be right on top of it. I mean, one of the best atmospheres I've heard for a Scotland game was when we played Ireland, and that was obviously at Celtic Park. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if it were to move, maybe a stay in Glasgow, and I, was, I'd, you know, would rather, um, I'd rather it was somewhere like that, um, or Ibrox or whatever. Um,
1: well, the the Celtic Park atmosphere obviously is is well known for for the atmosphere they can create at the, the Champions League matches. Hybroch similar but even even a chance to take the the game to somewhere like Tynecastle that is kind of infamously like, the crowd are right on top of it, or somewhere like Tannadice or, or like I say Petodria up, up north to give those fans a chance up there to go they they're all good stadiums that that have good atmospheres that are close to the pitch that I'm sure would intimidate some of the bigger players, more specifically players from the bigger teams, that are maybe used to, they're used to playing nowadays in these expansive modern stadiums, and it might be a bit of a a shock to the system for them to have to go to one of these smaller stadiums where the crowd is right next to them and, and on their backs. That just might give us that chance to unsettle them and get that little bit of an advantage that we undoubtedly do need in these situations.
0: I I I think uh I for me personally, um I mean I d I I don't know what the what the answer is, but I know what the I know it's not the answer and that's staying at Hamden. Like I think we do need to maybe move somewhere else. Whether that's taking it on tour around the country or maybe just going, you know, what Murrayfield or something, you know, because I mean personally I've never actually been to Murrayfield. I mean I'm I'm not a big in fact, no, I'm not even. I'm not even a microscopic rugby fan. I mean, like it's, it doesn't doesn't come onto my radar at all. So, mm-hmm. I've never been there. Um, but I've heard from friends that, that have been. That it's that, you know they say it's really good and stuff like that. So I mean, and from what I've seen on telly and stuff, because Hearts uh, have been playing there recently as well, haven't they? Um Whilst whilst their time castles um, been uh, getting some renovation done on the main stand. Um, that's probably my instinct because I I don't know why, but for some reason I always quite like the idea of uh, of like just just a, a national team or I know even just a national, team, but just Scotland just having a place you know where it's like when you know that if you go there for a qualifier or something, you know that that away team is going to stadium X, you know where they know it's like it's got cool, it's got an atmosphere, it's got this, it's got that. Like I like the idea of a team always. Being wary of this specific place, you know, but w- whether or not that exists in Scotland, that is up for debate. Um, I, think the, I, I, I think
1: the problem with that then is that when when the specific place is not intimidating or does not create an atmosphere, you then have the opposite problem of. Aye. I'm pretty sure that a lot of the teams now know that Hamden isn't that intimidating a place to go, so they don't mind it. Whereas if it was. Ibrox Celtic Park, somewhere like that, where the reputation for those stadiums being intimidating places to go is already set in stone. They know who Celtic and Rangers are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They they know where they're coming and what to expect. And I'm sure the Tartan army in a situation like that could create as much noise, if not more than any Celtic or Rangers fans could in a similar situation.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's probably, uh, you know, if you were to force me into a sort of solution, it would be like picking a stadium for like maybe like the qualifier or something, but still taking it on tour for like the you know, like friendlies and stuff like that, or even like, if, if we do have a qualifier, but it's, it's against the likes of like Malta or something, you know, like I, you know, take that, I know that as I'm saying that, and I hate the way I sound as I'm saying that, where I'm like, ah, whatever, you know, does it? we'll, we'll, we'll give the fans from up north, whatever, we'll, we'll give them a couple of crumbs, you know, but I mean, it's just first of for whatever reason, in my mind, I just, I like the idea of us having a home, eh, uh, that we can rely on, but I mean, like I said, it is is can we actually find that? And and the thing is, is I, I can't imagine Scotland ever being based at uh, Celtic Park or Ibrox purely. No, I think
1: I think there's probably po- political too much, reasons. Yeah, you know, too much politics attached to it. But but even even just from the point of view of how many times, how depressing is it if if you're not at the game to switch on the telly and see half of Hamden if not more, empty. Mm-hmm. You know, and that still does happen at Scotland Games, so even the chance to take it to a smaller venue that then appears, well, is fuller even though the numbers are still down you get a chance to create a better atmosphere than you know, 10,000 people in Pataudry is going to create a better atmosphere than 10,000 people at Hamden, so Mm -hmm. you know, is is that not a reason in itself to go somewhere else and try and Try and you know bring bring people back to the game. Maybe then, maybe if you only did it for one qualifi- qualification period, and then said we're going to do it for four years, people get reinvested in it, and then when it does go back to Hamden, you're getting people coming back that, that maybe aren't going at the moment. I don't know.
0: Aye, aye that, that's, that's a good point uh, I mean I have been It was only a friendly but I mean I, I went to a Scotland game at Easter Road a few years ago when we played Australia where incidentally actually i, I seen the best goal I've ever seen in the flesh uh, Mark Bresciano scored this absolutely ridiculous re- re- Ridiculous uh, volley from it. a corner was headed clear and he just hits it flush on the volley from 30 yards, dips in, and off. Yeah, I, I, stood, I stood up and applauded it. The brilliant, uh, but I mean, but the atmosphere there was actually quite good. I mean, even though that was that was far from a sellout, it was probably half capacity at best at Easter Road, but it was still quite good because the, the, the ground and the stands itself were smaller, you know, and and it was a lot closer to the pitch than you'll basically ever get at Hamden. So,
1: yeah. aye,
0: it's a uh, uh, it's probably it's probably maybe that is one of the better ways to do. Actually, maybe like some of you know more A-list. Uh, games you could maybe move to like a Celtic Park or a, a an eyeball or something just purely for like numbers wise, but also still getting that atmosphere and I uh, maybe some of the the smaller ones that you you, you only will sell 20, 15,000 but at least put it in a place where those people are going to get a chance to have their voices heard uh, and actually create atmosphere. Because end of the day, I mean, people can say it doesn't really matter, but I mean, I think it does matter, especially for a team like Scotland. Uh, they need all the help they can get on the pitch. Um, um, but aye, right, so I guess we're looking forward to this game on Thursday. And you know what, it's the thing it's the thing that I never really said earlier was uh, I mean I'm looking forward to it out of curiosity, but equally we're in a strange place because we know that our next um competitive game isn't until what, September next year. Uh so I think maybe the sooner the better, but you know, not that I want to rush. But the sooner the better. That name, something new, we can then start to feel that excitement again. That will no doubt build up to another failure that we'll feel horrible about. <laughs> but I mean, this this is the this is the life cycle of the Scotland fan. You know, it's fine, but we, we all know it. That does not. we we'll go into as conscious. You know, we know what we're putting ourselves through, but it's the it's the journey rather than the destination or lack of a destination that matters so we'll see, so hopefully we can name somebody soon, somebody that isn't awful and uh, they can get a bit of excitement again, so, uh, aye, so have you got any plugs you want to do like your Twitter, have you been writing anywhere or that kind of uh,
1: stuff? I've been taking a little bit of a break from writing but hoping to get stuff back up on the site soon um, so my site, my personal blogging site is um, www.thecounterpress.wordpress.com uh, so that's my personal stuff, and I also write for various other sites as well. But the the best place to catch up on what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm saying is just to follow me on Twitter, which is at lbrad88, and you'll see everything there. Um, and if anybody who's listening wants to go there, I've just retweeted uh, talking about retro kits. Uh, the new Spain kit is based on their 1994 kit, and it is uh, all sorts of childhood feelings for me right there.
0: So uh, yeah, if you want to go in there and check that out, you can. Oh, that sounds good. I missed that. Actually, I'll, I'll need to get that look. Good stuff. Uh, I as as for myself, I can uh, just follow me at oddnege, that's O-D-N-E-G. Uh Still waiting on at Gendle being available. Who <laughs> knows? Maybe maybe one day. Um, other than that, you can just follow us at at WorldFootballEye, worldfootballindex.com. Search World Football Index on iTunes, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. And one final thing before I go, I want to give... And You know what? Again, this is my pod. I can do what I want. But this is still related to Scottish football, so it's fine. Yesterday, I was at the... um, sectional League Cup final uh, for some juniors football in Scotland and I was very pleased to see that Claybank managed to beat Pollock in the final against the odds Pollock beat us 4-0 a few weeks ago and we managed to turn it around and uh, win 2-0 in the final so that's why I give you a wee congratulations to, to Claybank there because the league campaign has been horrible this year so at least we've got a wee trophy to celebrate so hopefully that can spur us on but otherwise aye, just check us out where I said and uh, hopefully Thursday goes well but no too well that he gets the job so we'll see but, uh, <laughs> anyway, aye, thanks for being on Laura and uh, no thank problem. you for listening and uh, aye, go on Scotland